Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. In the year 2000, I was 19 years old and I spent six months in southeastern Africa. For the first three months, we were in Malawi, and then the last three months, we were in Mozambique. And while I was there, my eyes were opened to the supernatural. Here in the West, the supernatural realm is reserved for the fiction section at Barnes & Noble. Uh, supernatural evil, witches, demons, curses, powerful beings, that's for the movies. That's not real life. In Africa, it's real life. In June of 2000, we visited Mitawa village in Mozambique. As we entered the village, there was a lake to our left, but no one was near it. And that was strange because a lake next to a village is a gold mine. Uh, there, you can fish in the lake, it will provide sustenance for the entire village and income for the entire village. And when we arrived in Mitawa, we went straight to the hut of the chief. Uh, it is customary to ask for permission to do any kind of work or ministry in a village, so you ask the chief. The chief shared with us about her village. She was honored that we would come. Then I attempted to compliment her and the village, and I spoke through a translator. I said that the village is very beautiful and the lake is very beautiful. And then the translator got really quiet and whispered to me, don't talk about the lake. And I go, why not? And he said, there are water spirits there. No one goes near it except for the witch doctors. And for us, witch doctor, it's a children's song, right? Went to the witch doctor. He told me what to do. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, ting. You remember the song. Uh, it's in the new uh, Chipmunks movie. In Africa, it's not a children's song. Often, the village witch doctor taps into supernatural realm and keeps people in bondage. We ministered in the village and we packed our lunches. We decided to eat the lunch in an area kind of in between the lake and the village. And at lunch, things got weird, really weird. Our team, which was composed of Americans, Malawians, Mozambicans, and Europeans, began arguing over extremely trivial things. Like people who hate conflict, who avoid it at all costs, are now taking jabs at one another. We're on this mission trip, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, overlooking a beautiful African landscape, and we're bickering, arguing, and insulting one another. We end up leaving the village after lunch, in part because of the conflict that we had at lunch. And so we all hop back in the truck, and as we leave the village, we see someone waist-deep in the water, spinning some hair around and around and around. And so we stop and we watch. And after a few moments of spinning the hair around his head, he goes under the water. 
and uh, time goes by, minutes go by. I get worried about them. Uh, maybe there's water spirits, whatever they were. And he was under for what seemed like minutes. I asked the missionaries who were with, should we go and help him? And they said, that is the village witch doctor. And after minutes of going underwater, he comes out of water to the shore. One foot in the water, one foot on the shore, he looks up at us from the distance and an unshakable uneasiness fell upon our vehicle. And we're like, go, 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 let's get out of here. And we sped up and no one says a word. And I'm like, what the heck was that? And they said, the witch doctor became a crocodile and no one else said anything the entire drive back to our base. Why did no one else speak? Why was no one shocked that someone said the witch doctor became a crocodile? Because they had heard or seen similar things throughout their lifetime. Why did we all start fighting over PBJs? Because of the oppressive evil that was taking place right next to us, of course. I do not know why supernatural evil doesn't manifest itself in similar ways here in the West, but I suspect it has to do with worldviews. We don't think it exists. We're too enlightened to believe in such things. Why would the devil reveal himself to a worldview that doesn't even think he's real? These are big questions that arise from our passage today in week three of Ghost Stories. Today's story is called Saul and the Witch of Endor, and it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. All right, a little bit of background here. Saul is the king of Israel and Samuel is the prophet of God. Samuel dies, he actually dies three chapters before this, but the author wants to reiterate the fact that Sammy's dead, like dead dead. And so Saul and Israel are at war with the Philistines. And the Bible says that when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart. Fear will make you do some pretty crazy things. If you watch scary movies, you know that fear makes you do stupid things. You've got a bunch of teenagers in a creepy old abandoned house. They're all huddled together, they're scared, and one of them says, let's split up. No, let's not split up. Let's stay together huddled up right here in the middle of this room. But fear makes you do stupid things. And what is the stupid thing that Saul does? Well, he is going to seek out a medium, a spiritist, a necromancer, a witch. Now, at one point during his reign, Saul expels all of these people from the land of Israel. Why did he expel them? 
Well, because the Bible clearly tells us. Leviticus 19.31, Leviticus 20, verse 6, in Deuteronomy 18.10, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It was made abundantly clear by God that his people should have nothing to do with the occult. They shall seek their answers from God and God alone. And so at one point in his reign, Saul banishes all of the witches, mediums, and spiritists from the land. But now Saul gets scared. And now he wants to talk to one. He wants to talk to one because Yahweh, the God of Israel, is no longer answering Saul's prayers. Why? Well, it goes back to 1 Samuel 15. Saul has been rejected as king. God already told him this through the prophet Samuel when prophet Samuel was still alive. Now, Saul did a lot of shady things as king, and he never fully carried out the Lord's instructions. And so he is confronted by the prophet Samuel, and Saul begs Samuel to help make things right, 1 Samuel 15. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Saul turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Okay, remember that robe? It's going to come into play a little bit later. Verse 28, Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Samuel leaves Saul. Saul clings to him and tears his robe. And then Samuel declares, just as you have torn my robe, God has torn your kingdom away from you. And then 13 chapters later, Israel and the Philistines are at war and Saul is scared. And when you're afraid, you make bad decisions. So he goes to Yahweh, but there's no answer. Saul himself has killed the priest of Nob. Samuel the prophet is dead, and he wasn't even speaking to Saul when he was alive. So Saul has deprived himself of any legitimate means of contacting Yahweh. So he turns to illegitimate means. If I can't get an answer from heaven, I'll go to hell. And that's what he does. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, surely as Yahweh lives, you will not be punished for this. Fear makes you do dumb things. Fear makes you hide. Here we see Saul hide his appearance. He disguises himself. And we go back to the scary movies. Whenever someone is afraid, they end up hiding. They get afraid. They hide in the closet. They hide underneath the bed. And that's what we see in King Saul. Fear causes him to hide. And so Saul and Israel are camped 
here at Gilboa. There's a map on your screens. Uh, the Philistines are in Shunem, and Saul needs to get to Endor, which is where there is a medium, a witch. Endor was three and a half miles northwest of Shunem. So Saul has to go right past the enemy's camp. This is the king of Israel, okay? He's only got two guys with him, going under the cover of night past a chariot-filled Philistine army to seek wisdom from a mistress of necromancy. That is the literal Hebrew. A necromancer is a person who uses witchcraft or sorcery to reanimate dead people or to foretell the future by communicating with them. And it was common practice in the ancient world. So this mistress of necromancy is concerned that she will be outed to Saul. She's going to be killed for practicing the dark arts. And look what Saul says to her. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. He says, I swear to God. I swear by Yahweh, the name of the Lord. And this is the very last time Saul will utter the name Yahweh. And I think that the author is making a point here that when he swore by God's name to a witch conjuring up the dead, well, that was the last straw. Back to our story. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. What does he look like? An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Remember the robe? Saul knew it's got to be Samuel. Apparently, he could not see Samuel. Only the mistress of necromancy could see him. And what kind of diviner is this? She alone is able to see the spirit, but Saul must be the one who tells her who it is. She is frightened at the dead person that rose before her. She's in shock. She screams at the top of her lungs. She has done hundreds of seances before, but there was something different about this time. Now, perhaps she had a good scam going. Maybe she faked everything all the time. She was Miss Cleo or Madame Sophia in Selma. Perhaps she knew what words to say and what chords to play. Perhaps she has someone rattle the curtains or whistle from afar. Perhaps she's running a spooky scam of calling up the dead, but really, she's just taking their money. Only this time, it worked. We're not told anything about her past. That is not clear. But one thing that is clear, she did not expect what she saw. Verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? That's how I picture him saying it, okay? Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams, so I've called upon you to tell me what to do. Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, 
because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. This is an extremely critical turning point in the history of Israel. It is the end of the first dynasty. The tall ruler will fall as Saul, whose name means the asked for one, right? Because the people asked for the ruler. Saul means the asked for one. And he asks about the future from a place of the dead, Sheol. Some scholars literally define Sheol as the asking place. Perhaps because death is always asking for more, or perhaps because it is the place where they would ask questions of ghosts of the dead. The irony is that the asked for one, Saul, will soon find himself in the asking place, Sheol. Saul and Sheol are inseparably linked. When Samuel finally speaks, he tells the king what he already told him when he was alive, that God has judged him for his disobedience and has given the kingdom to another. He doesn't say anything different. Now, I don't think that we should build a theology of the afterlife through this one story in the Old Testament. But did you notice that dead Samuel is the same as the alive Samuel? The kind of person Samuel was on earth seems to have carried on in the life to come. We are in the process of becoming certain kinds of people. Our lives are kind of on a moral trajectory. C.S. Lewis writes that it is not primarily where you are that makes it hell, it's what you have become. It's not primarily a matter of the decor or the temperature. People just get these cartoon images of heaven and hell, and heaven's like this major pleasure factory, and hell is this major pain factory. And if I could only get out of hell and get into heaven, then I'd be happy no matter what kind of person I am. But what the Bible teaches is that every human being on this planet Earth are becoming a certain kind of person. John says, for what we will be had not yet been revealed. If you are hateful and racist and intolerant and mean and exclusive and evil, you're going to hate heaven because it is going to be filled with all different kinds of people, people that you hated here on earth. To you, it will feel like hell. We have a warning sometimes for people. If we don't really want them to do something, if we're dead set against it, we'll say, you'll do that over my dead body. And Jesus says to any member of the human race, if you're headed to hell, you'll have to go over my dead body. Now, I'm certainly not giving an expansive outline of the afterlife and what takes place. I'm simply saying the kind of person you are becoming matters, and it matters forever. Next week, I'll talk a little bit more about the fire and brimstone hell that maybe you're familiar with 
in week four of ghost stories. But today, let's finish this story. Verse 20. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When Israel and the Philistines do battle the very next day, Saul's sons are killed. And as the enemy army closes in on Saul, he falls on his own sword. And the asked-for one, Saul, enters the asking place, Sheol. And he joins the prophet Samuel. Ooh, it's a very dark story. Saul was once considered as one of the prophets of God. See 1 Samuel 10. He was the first king of Israel, chosen by God to lead his people. And now he lies dead on the ground with his own sword through his stomach, a day after calling the ghost of Samuel through the witch of Endor. Have you ever wondered how Eskimos in the Arctic hunt wolves? Probably not, but it's fascinating. Let me give you the punchline first. They put a knife in the snow and they wake up the next morning and the wolf lay dead next to the knife. How does that happen? The Eskimos first go to the ocean and they kill a walrus. They are very slow and very easy to hunt. They dip the knife in the blood of the walrus. They pull it out and let the blood freeze to the knife. Then they do it again to add another layer of frozen blood. After adding several layers of frozen blood to the knife, they place it in the snow, blade up. Then they go back to their igloo and go to sleep. Their job is done. At night, when the wolves go out to hunt, they smell the blood of the walrus. They find the knife and begin licking it layer by layer. They are consuming the blood. But after removing the frozen blood, it's just the blade. And with one lick, their tongue is cut by the knife. What began as an easy meal, what began as indulgence, now becomes a death sentence because the wolf is now drinking its own blood. When the Eskimo wakes up the next morning, he finds the wolf dead beside the knife, a prisoner of his own appetite. And so it is with sin. Our sin and our selfishness is not repulsive at first bite. It's delicious. But when we continue to choose ourself over God, when we continue to choose selfish over selfless, when we continue to choose indifference over love, it doesn't end well. Famous author Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called Endor. Oh, the road to Endor is the oldest road and the craziest road of all. Straight it runs to the witch's abode as it did in the days of Saul. And nothing has changed of the sorrow in store for such as go down on the road to Endor. In one way or another, we have all chosen the road to Endor, the road of fear, the road of hiding. But Jesus of Nazareth 
took a different road. He took the road to Calvary and overcame sin and death because we could not. And in Christ, we have won the battle against all the other roads that we take. Let's follow Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and your mercy and grace that covers our sin, our selfishness, in the darkness that lies within. God, there's no fear in love. So may we be so full of your love that we fear nothing. Move us to be the kind of people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us online for week three of Ghost Stories. Next week, join us for week four as we're gonna have a hell of a time, okay? Pun intended. We hope you have an amazing week and we pray for God's peace, justice, shalom, and end of violence in the Middle East.